Good morning. It's a delight to be back here. I like this place. Your weather is no better than Chicago's, but that's okay. I still like this place. I am so enriched by the student body. The diversity just blesses me and teaches me. It's just a touch of heaven, and I love it. Wheaton College is not this diverse. We are thrilled that we're about 11% students of color. We have a long way to go. I just want to share some thoughts, what I've been thinking recently about spiritual formation. And so I kind of gave a title to my talk, such as it is, on a formula for spiritual formation. Spiritual formation is a term that is used very commonly these days. In some settings, it's much maligned as the latest buzzword. Hmm. Is it nothing but a linguistic fad? Possibly. But yet, I did my graduate work at Wheaton College uh, 20 plus years ago, and my department was called Educational Ministries. And we were very heavily social science based. And about 10 years ago, when I was on faculty, we got together and we talked about a name change. We felt something was missing. So now we are the Department of Christian Formation and Ministry. And everybody says, what's that? What do you do with that kind of a degree? What kind of jobs you can get? That especially comes from parents. So both our master's program and our uh, undergrad program was called Christian Formation and Ministry. Hmm, formation. Is that the same as discipleship? Is that different than discipleship? What is formation? Well, it comes heavily from Galatians 4.19, where Paul is writing to that church in Galatia and talking about how important it is to be zealous and have good purpose, even when I am not with you. And then in verse 19 he says, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. So that became kind of the founding verse of the Department of Christian Formation and Ministry, until Christ be formed in you. Okay, so what does that mean? That's in the New Testament. If we have formulas for formation, what are they? What do they seem like? Well, as I was reflecting on this, my mind went to Micah. Is there an Old Testament formula for formation? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Could that be an Old Testament formula for spiritual formation? I don't know. It's an intriguing thought. Micah 6.8. Do justice, walk humbly, love mercy, all commands. And then last fall, we had Rebecca DeYoung come speak with our department, doing a symposium with us faculty. Rebecca DeYoung is a young woman who teaches philosophy at Calvin College. She has written a book called Glittering Vices. And we thought, that is an intriguing twist to spiritual formation. It's the dark side. 
So what if we had her come and talk about virtues? So we were sitting and listening to her talk, and all of a sudden one day she said, here's a formula for spiritual formation. Colossians 3 plus Ephesians 4 plus Galatians 5 equals Romans 12. Excuse me, I didn't do my formula right. Colossians 3, Ephesians 4, Galatians 5 equals Romans 12. Wow, is that interesting. Formulas are really big in pragmatic evangelicalism. We like them. We want ten of this, four of that, three of this to do our job of ministry. I went to a conference in one of the very large churches in the Chicago area. There were about 3,000 Christian workers at this conference. And across the stage, it was a conference on evangelism in numbers that were probably two feet high, had three plus two equals five, something like that. I, I don't even remember what it was. But it has this formula up there and then told us what those numbers meant. I was struck by something. The formula was really clever, but God was not in that formula anywhere. And it was the formula for evangelism. It was like three contacts plus two something or other equals something. Hmm. We like formulas, don't we? I began to wonder, is the term spiritual formation falling into that kind of a category? where it is becoming used carelessly, thoughtlessly. Two years ago in our uh, theology conference that we have annually, uh, Gordon Fee was one of the speakers. And he started his talk with this word. He said, most of us evangelicals have become binarian. We have lost Trinitarian faith. And we're now binary. Whoa. We have God. And we have Jesus. Oh, we talk about the Holy Spirit. And then he gave his next sentence. It's time we brought spiritual back into spiritual formation. It is time we put the Holy Spirit back into spiritual formation. And stop being binarians. So I'm going to have you watch a very brief video clip, which has nothing to do with spiritual formation, but I hope I'll make a connection for you in just a minute. Okay.
you do to my saying? I wrote a saying. But in different words. Thanks, love. That clip is called The Power of Words. Simply adding a few words to that sign changed it a whole lot. That got me to thinking about the term spiritual formation, spiritual disciplines. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. What if we change the words just a little bit? Formation by the Spirit, putting us as recipients instead of activists. In class this yesterday and today, there's been a lot of conversation about difference between East and West. I'm diehard West. I'm thoroughly individualistic. I need this message much more than people from other cultural contexts who are communal. But I wonder how much of my spiritual formation I take on myself. I am formed by the Spirit of God. But you know what? I teach personal spiritual formation. How do I phrase it to my students? We also have courses on the history of spiritual formation. How do we acknowledge the role of the Holy Spirit? Have I become so binarian that I don't even realize how subtly I'm doing that? It's not what we do in spiritual formation. It's what the Spirit does. Last weekend was commencement at Wheaton College, and our commencement speaker was Lisa Beamer. I don't know if you know that name up here, but she started her talk by saying, I had moments of fame 10 years ago with uh, 9-11. Her husband, Todd, was the one on the plane that crashed in the field in Pennsylvania. They're both Wheaton College alums, and uh, Lisa was left a widow. She's probably 40. with two children, and she was expecting her third at the time of the 9-11 crash. So she was invited back to speak on campus. And her talk was simply on the concept of ordinary life. Most of us live very ordinary lives. But students at Wheaton College want to be spectacular. They are very driven. They want to be world shakers, world changers. And so in seeking to be spectacular, it makes me wonder how much they allow the Spirit of God to do in them. So she talked about being ordinary. She said, I'm a housewife. When I get together on a day and we have conversation, it's about little league football. It's about taxing kids to this and that. I'm very ordinary except those brief minutes of fame. But she said, that doesn't mean 
that I'm not significant. And if I want to live a significant life, it must be Christ in me living it. Otherwise, I'm going for spectacular, which isn't pretty at all. Makes me think of Solomon. You know how Solomon started out wonderfully asking for wisdom, being very careful in what he sought. And you also know how he ended up. Why? What made the change? There are many examples like that. Okay, so let's go back to this formula for spiritual formation. If we see it as addition, Colossians 3 plus Ephesians 4 plus Galatians 5 equals Romans 12, we're seeing it as a monomic gimmick because it's not plus, plus, plus equals. It's knowing how to live these passages because of the work of the Spirit within us. It helps me to remember those passages when I realize that 3 plus 4 plus 5 equals 12. I remember those passages. And wonderfully, the Spirit of God has enabled me to memorize many of those big chunks of those scriptures. Ephesians 3, especially verses 12 through 17, those are rules for holy living. Those are good things to know. And I could say them for you, but I'm not going to. You can look them up. Ephesians 4, we are to grow up into Christ and live as children of light. That's the work of the Spirit. Galatians 5, freedom in Christ and life by the Spirit, including the fruit of the Spirit-filled life. And then Romans 12, the goal is being transformed. In that transforming, we offer our bodies, we give up, we quit trying to be formed, we quit trying to be spectacular, and we let the Spirit of God do the forming. Those of you in the class know my passion for children. Uh, Kathleen Chesto writes of her two-year-old daughter. She was playing in her room and Kathleen looked in to see what she was doing because she had a candlestick and a white disc and she kept repeating over and over, this is my body, this is my body. And her mother said, are you hoping to turn the disc into Jesus, being from a sacramental background? And little Elizabeth, who called herself Lisbeth, said, no, I want him to turn Wisbeth into Jesus. So at two, she got formation is by the Spirit. What a beautiful example for me. I want to be turned into Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Other people have much richer thoughts than I do, and I want to share a few of them with you. Elmer Yazzie is a First Nations artist from the tribe of the Navajo in the U.S., and he's an artist who does his work as acts of worship. And he has said this, when I'm doing my painting, I see God in the painting. And I talk to God out loud about how he's showing me to do this or that. This is so the evil one can hear. Satan can't read my mind. So you have to tell him how the Holy Spirit is talking to you and inspiring you. And I want to make him jealous. <laughs> Isn't that cool? never thought of making the evil one jealous by talking to him about what God is doing in me. 
And then Richard Foster. The most important, most real, most lasting work is accomplished in the depths of our heart. But it is solitary work and interior work. This is the Holy Spirit here. It cannot be seen by anyone, not even ourselves. It is work known only to God. And we Westerners who want to assess everything are not happy with work that we can't even see ourselves. We don't know what to do with that. But Paul is in birth pangs until Christ is formed in us. Oswald Chambers. Our spiritual life cannot be measured by success as the world measures it, but only by what God pours into us. And we can't measure that at all. That even makes assessment impossible. What do you people in higher ed do when your accrediting associations come around and say, how do you know you're doing what you say you're doing? We have a terrible time figuring out assessment in a department of Christian formation and ministry if you can't see the work of the Spirit forming us. So the Holy Spirit has adjusted the way he works to live and indwell in our lives. But we have to adjust the way we live to the fact that he is there and part of us who are followers of him. Physically, we can't apprehend him. We must practice his presence. That might, put, may, excuse me, that might make a good book title, mightn't it? We must make the business of our lives to live in the momentary consciousness of his abiding presence. Because the Spirit of God is forming us. So, spiritual formation is much more than a set of spiritual disciplines. It is much more than us acting in ways that are pious and God-honoring. It is allowing us to give up, to let go, and let the Spirit of God form us into the image of Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm so glad for that little snippet of Scripture tucked in Galatians that says Paul is praying for the church in Galatia until Christ is formed in them. May that be our heart's cry. May we take the words of Lisbeth and seek to have you turn us into your likeness. May we be truly Trinitarian Christians, knowing God the Father through his Son, Jesus Christ, as empowered and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Thank you for this time, for these thoughts. May it be so. In your name, amen.